0: Today, we are continuing uh, looking at uh, our little mini-series as we're going through the Lord's Prayer. And uh, this is found in Luke uh, chapter 11. And in Luke 11, uh, we've already looked at uh, the fact that this starts with the disciples coming to Jesus after he had been praying and asking him, Lord, teach us to pray, because they could tell that something uh, was different about the way that he prayed, and uh, they wanted... Um, to know better how to pray themselves. And so that's that's what we're looking at today. Jesus here is teaching the disciples how to pray. And so it's often called the Lord's Prayer, but more accurately, uh, as we've said, it's the disciples' prayer, because Jesus is teaching uh, the disciples how to pray. Um, he's not just teaching them the words to say uh, but he's teaching them how to pray. And so as we look at the words that he says today, we want to learn from those words and, uh, and learn how is it that we can learn how to better pray uh, based on how he prayed. Um, and so uh, in Luke 11, I'll start at verse 1, and uh, we'll read uh, through part of verse 2. Uh, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. And that's what we talked about last week. And this week, we're looking at this next phrase, Your kingdom come. And so, our, for today, our message today is, is looking at unpacking those three words. How is it that when we pray, we pray that, for, that, that the Father's kingdom will come? And what does that mean? What, is, what, is, what are the implications of that? Um, And so first, we probably need to answer the question as to what is God's kingdom? What is God's kingdom? Um, Naturally, if you're talking about a kingdom, uh, that usually means that there's a king, right? And so if it's God's kingdom, he probably is the king of his kingdom. Um, And so that's kind of a logical thing. But is that kingdom just like all these other kingdoms throughout time? Uh, Because, you know, kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall. You know, there's all kinds of different uh, kingdoms throughout time that we've seen. Um, Now, um, you know, in our modern political structures, uh, many countries are moving away from kings or queens. um, But getting to uh, their own different forms of government and everything, right? Those are still kingdoms. The, The terms still apply. Um, it's a, a sovereign nation, a sovereign rule, um, a sovereign kingdom. And so is God just like those? Is his kingdom like all the others? Well, no. Um, in Colossians 1:13, uh, it tells us about the fact that there are really two kingdoms that are eternal that last forever: the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God. And when there's really just these two kingdoms, and the fact is, is that we all are born into, we inherit the kingdom of darkness in our birth. Because our our ancestors, going back to the garden, to Adam and Eve, they sinned. They did things against God. And that's what we inherit from them, through our parents, Grandparents, great-grandparents, going all the way back to Adam and Eve, were born into that kingdom, and we live like we're born into that kingdom. We do things that are contrary to God and against His kingdom. But yet, so, so how, how do we get to His kingdom? Because when you read things in the Bible about that kingdom, it doesn't sound very good. Uh, the end result for this kingdom is bad. Um, the end result for his kingdom is very good. And so, how do we get from this kingdom to this kingdom? And the answer to that is Jesus. And the fact that Jesus is the way that we can go from being a part of the kingdom of darkness into being a part of God's kingdom. He came for that purpose. He came to earth so that we can be changed, so that we can be given away into his kingdom so that we can be a part of His kingdom, no longer a part of the kingdom of darkness. That's what Colossians 1.13 is talking about. It's about the fact that those of us who are believers, those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, we have changed. We have been changed from being a part of this kingdom to being a part of Jesus' kingdom. And uh, being an immigrant myself here, um, this whole topic of... Um, Your citizenship and kingdoms really kind of rings home for me a lot of the time uh, because I was born in the States, and so my citizenship is still there. I'm here on a, uh, a, a temporary visa, but working towards our permanent residency and then hopefully eventually towards dual citizenship. Um, to do that, we're constantly having to fill out paperwork, uh, pay fees. Um, the ne- next thing up is we have to go to a special specialty doctor. Um, that's going to check us out to, uh, I guess, to make sure we're not bringing some horrible disease into your country. Um, but uh, yeah, complete with x rays and all this kind of stuff. And I mean, they're very, very thorough. You should be proud of your, your government. They, they want to make sure that uh, um, only the people they want here get here. So, uh, but we're working through all that. And is it the, is it the same kind of thing with God's kingdom? To get into his kingdom, is it just the, you know, we got to do the right paperwork, or we got to do the right stuff, or we got to pay the right fees, or we got to put our time in, or whatever? Well, no, not at all. Entrance into his kingdom is a free gift. It's a free gift that's given by Jesus. And what, what's required of us is to accept that gift, to take that gift into our lives, and to apply it to our lives. And so, When we do that, what's happening is His kingdom is coming into us. And so when we pray, Father, Your kingdom come, one of the ways that we can pray that is praying for salvation, is praying for our lives to be saved, for our citizenship to be changed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of heaven to the kingdom of God. And that is one way that we can pray your kingdom come. Because the way that God's kingdom come and the way that his kingdom advances and grows is by one life at a time. One soul at a time having their citizenship changed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. And so for, for us, that, that happens in our lives. That's the starting place of walking with Jesus. That's the starting place uh, for us being a part of that. But Jesus' death on the cross was the only way for mankind to be a part of God's kingdom. I kind of skipped over that one, Austin. I'm jumping around on you. Sorry, man. Jesus' death on the cross was the only way uh, for us to be uh, a part of God's kingdom. Because you see, when we, when we pray that prayer, it's only possible by what he did for us. If it weren't for him coming and living a sinless life and dying on the cross, paying the punishment for sin, and then being raised again, proving that he had defeated sin and death, there would be no way for us to become a part of God's kingdom. There would be no way for us to be made right with God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And that's why he came. And even right before it was about to happen, right before um, he's about to be hung on the cross and he's fully God, he knows what's about to happen. He knows what he came from. He knows how, how excruciating this is going to be. He knows how horrible it's going to be. And he's praying in the garden and he prays, Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way besides this way, let's do that. Because I know what this way entails, um, but ultimately... He ends up praying, not my will, but your will be done. And that's another aspect of praying, your kingdom come. In Matthew's version of of the Lord's Prayer, uh, he includes the fact that Jesus said, um, your kingdom come, your will be done um luke's version uh doesn't include that well why well for one it was different times that jesus is talking that they're recording what jesus said so um, that's why luke doesn't record it and jesus does i mean in matthew does so why did jesus say it in matthew's time but not in luke's because ultimately to pray your kingdom come is to pray your will be done That's included in praying for God's kingdom to come. Because to pray for his kingdom to come is saying, hey, you are the king, you are sovereign, and what you want is what I want, and we want that to happen. And so for Jesus, um, Jesus' death on the cross was essential uh, for us. and And that in that, we get to pray for salvation. We get to pray, Lord, forgive me for the ways that I have sinned against you, for the ways that I have been a part of this other kingdom. Forgive me and make me a part of your kingdom. Restore me to you through Jesus and through what he did on the cross. And that's part of what it means to pray, Lord, your kingdom come. It also means for those of us who are believers, we pray for that to happen in the lives of others. We pray for that to happen in our city, in our community, in our families, our friends, our co-workers. We pray, Lord, your kingdom come in their life as well. Lord, I long to see them, to have the hope that I have that's found in you. I want them to have that. I want them to have that same hope, that same assurance that I have. So, Father, please let your kingdom come in their life as well. And so as we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, we pray for salvation for ourselves, but then for others. And as I said, to pray that, uh, to pray his kingdom come, is also to pray, Lord, your will be done. But what is God's will? Um, 1 Thessalonians um, 4 3 through 5 says, uh, This is God's will for you, um, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So is that it? Is it just about sexual ethics? Is that God's will for us? Um, that's part of it, but that's not all of it. If you want to turn to 1 Peter, um, we're going to look at a, a longer, chapter, a longer uh, section here in 1 Peter um, chapter 1. And Peter, is really he really just kind of lays out here um, a lot of these things I've been, been mentioning already. But in 1 Peter 1, I'm starting in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So what he's saying is, no longer act like you're a part of that kingdom. You're now obedient children to your Father. You're a part of this new kingdom, and you need to act like it But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So because our king is holy, because he is a holy God, we too are to strive for holiness in our lives. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds... Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. We inherited the sin nature, but yet we've been ransomed from that. We've, the price has been paid for that so that we can be a part of God's kingdom and be with Jesus. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with precious blood of Christ. You can't pay enough gold, money, anything to make your way into his kingdom. The only way in is through the thing that will not perish, and that is Jesus' blood. And that was the only way for us to be made right with God. But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. You through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And so Peter's telling us, he's kind of laying it all out there. He's like, look, your, your citizenship has changed. Live like it. You're no longer a part of that kingdom. That's dead. That's gone. You've been ransomed from that. Don't stay in that anymore. You've been set free by the blood of Jesus. And you have the freedom to live in holiness and honor to God. Another way of thinking about this is once you become a part of God's kingdom. And you're still here on earth surrounded by people who are still a part of the kingdom of darkness. You have a job to do. You've been given a position. And that position is the position of being an ambassador. You're an ambassador for God's kingdom here in this place and in this time. And you get to represent your king to those around you. You get to show them, hey, here's how holy my God is by how you live your life. And so to pray for God's kingdom to come is not only just to pray for our salvation, but it's also to pray for our sanctification. Sanctification is one of those theological words that what it means is that you're becoming sanctified. Or you're like, well, thanks, Wayne. That really helped you change the end of the word. Um, Sanctification means that you're becoming more and more and more like God. So in our lives, we come to faith in Christ at one point, but we still have our old sin nature. It's still there. We still fall back into the old stuff, right? But we don't want to anymore. It saddens us when we do it. And we pray to him for forgiveness and he forgives us. And then over time, we slowly and slowly become more and more and more and more and more and more more like him. So hopefully you can see that in your life. You can look back to, well, this is when I came to faith. And man, I still really struggled with this or that or this or that. But now over time of walking with the Lord, maybe I still struggle with those same things a little bit but I'm I'm winning in that struggle more than I'm losing, right? And that's kind of what sanctification is, is slowly over time you're becoming more and more and more like God. And if you want to see what this looks like, hang around Christians who have walked with the Lord for a long time. It can be kind of daunting at first. You look at them and you look at your life and you're like, I'm not like them at all. That is very scary. Like, look how holy they are and how I'm not. And... How do I get to that? One step at a time. It takes time. It's a process. And it's God's kingdom coming in your life on a daily basis, on an hourly basis. It's His will being done in your life, moment by moment, decision by decision, that you're following Him. And it's not to earn your salvation, it's not to earn your way into the kingdom. You can't do that. That's hopeless. But it's because you're in the kingdom. And you know what it costs for you to get there—that you want to honor Him by the way that you live your life, and that's why uh, we live in a way that is changed. So to pray for God's kingdom to come is to pray for sanctification. Once again, that's to pray for that for ourselves, but it's also to pray for that for others. I think when it comes to others, a lot of times we can uh, really pray for their salvation, but then once maybe they come to the Lord, then we're like, well, they're good now right? But we look at our own lives and we know that's not true. Like I still need prayer. I still need prayer in my life for things that are going on. And so as we pray for others, we need to pray for them, uh, not only for his kingdom to come in their salvation, but also for his kingdom to come in their sanctification, that they, they will become more and more like Christ and that they will do a better and better job of being his ambassador. So how do we do that? How do we do that together? How how does that work together? Well, God kind of gave us this thing called the church for that to happen in. A place for those who are his ambassadors to come together. And we come together so that we can worship the king of the kingdom. We come together so that we can encourage one another in our walks with the Lord. We come together so that we can lift each other up in the jobs that we have to do in representing him to the world. If we talk about ourselves as being ambassadors, it's kind of like the the church, the local church is our embassy in this other, other world, that we're here in this place, we're an embassy for the kingdom of God. And I thank him so much that he has given us a, a, a more permanent location for our embassy. That our embassy isn't just floating around wherever we can find a place to meet. But that we have a, a permanent location here that we can make a representation for his kingdom in this community. And that is such a blessing for us. But to pray for God's kingdom to come is to pray for his church to grow and to advance We need to be praying that the Lord will grow his church in this place. The church is not the building. The church is the people. And we want to see his kingdom advance in people's lives. And that will translate into the church growing and more people coming and coming to faith. And then entering into that that process of step by step becoming more and more and more like Jesus And so we pray, Lord, your kingdom come in this place, in this church, not only in salvations, but also in the sanctification of those of us who are following you. And so those are three ways that we can pray, Lord, your kingdom come. And the fourth is the one that's actually probably the most obvious um, for those of us who who, um, have studied the Bible. Um, It's the one that kind of naturally comes to mind. Um, And that's the fact that Jesus, uh, when He left, uh, when He ascended into heaven, He promised us that He was coming again, that He was coming back. And then as we read other things, it's it's when He comes back that we get to finally be fully a part of His kingdom. We get to worship the King in His presence. We get to bow before Him and praise and honor and glorify Him. Um, And so, That is also a part of praying for his kingdom to come, is looking forward to that day when Jesus returns and calls us home, those of us who are his. That's a glorious day. Um, This idea of knee bowing um, has uh, been in the news lately. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, There's this big thing going on in the the states uh, between uh, the president and the NFL, right? It's like, why pick a fight with the NFL? Why fight with the president? Nobody knows. Um, I really think the whole thing is just a ploy to get um, the news off the fact that there might be about to go into a nuclear war with North Korea. I think it's just a big distraction. Um, but that's just my two-bit worth, and I'm not here to just talk about politics. But, uh, but yeah, and so um, the players, though, or uh, a couple players had started protesting um, during the national anthem, they would kneel, um, showing their protest over um, racial um, injustice in the country was, was their, their side of things. Um, well, the president and those that are on his side of things are saying that, well, they're being disrespectful um, to the flag and to what it represents and to all of the men and women who fought and died um, to give them the freedom to say what they're saying. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so these two sides are, are going at it. And after the president chimed in, well, then even more players started kneeling and whole teams are being a part of this and everything. It's just this whole big to-do um, thing that they're, they're making this huge deal out of. Um, and I'm not here to, to take one side or the other. Um, I care deeply about uh, racial injustice. Um, and I've preached sermons on that. And you can go on our website and listen to uh, <laughs> What I see in Scripture about racism and how that needs to be um, dealt with. Um, And so I'm I'm not uh, supporting or condoning that side. Um, I also care deeply about uh, showing respect and honor uh, to those who fought and died to give us the freedoms that we enjoy. Um, And so I highly respect and honor that side of the argument as well. Uh, But I will say this, I find great irony in the form of protests that the players have chosen um, because of for all of time, uh, the symbol of kneeling is a symbol of submission, right? Anytime you see kneeling, it's kneeling before a king, it's kneeling in worship, it's kneeling before somebody who is more powerful than you. And that is the form of protest that the players have chosen uh, for showing their their I guess, disrespect, if you can, if I can say that. Um, So I I don't fault them for their cause. I am fully for fighting for racial justice. Um, But I find irony in the the method by which they chose to form their protest. Um, Because we know that to kneel means that you are submitting yourself before one who is greater. And that's not what they mean at all by doing it. But that's what that symbol has always meant. And that's what that symbol is going to mean when Jesus returns. uh, In Philippians 2, um, 10, uh, it says this. It says, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this is going to happen. This is a prophecy that this is going to happen. That every knee is going to bow to him. Because he is the supreme one. And every tongue is going to confess that he is the Lord. But where were these knees and where were these tongues? Some are in heaven, some are on the earth, and some are under the earth. So even those who are part of this kingdom over here, the kingdom of darkness, they're going to be judged, and they're going to be judged in a harsh way, and it's, they're going to go into a place that is not pleasant. But even those people are going to proclaim in that time that Jesus is Lord. That he is the king. Their circumstances in getting to say that are going to be much worse than for those who get to be in his presence, those who get, get to bow right before him. And so that should be a challenge to us to let people know hey, this is the truth, this is the reality, this is what's going to happen. If you're still hanging out in this kingdom over here, it's not going to end well. You ultimately will proclaim that Jesus is Lord, but you might not like the circumstances you're in when you get there. But there's a free way that you can get to be a part of his kingdom here and now. And for all of eternity, you get to experience the joy and the peace and the satisfaction that's found in Him in a way that only He can satisfy. That's through His blood on the cross. That's through placing your faith in Him and asking Him to be your Lord and Savior. It's through submitting your life to Him, making Him king over your life as well. Will you do that? Maybe you're here today and you're still hanging out in this kingdom You're like, well, I kind of like this kingdom. It's kind of fun over here. Telling you the end results for your fun it's not going to be fun. Anyone who's honest with you will tell you that sin is always fun at first. Until you deal with the consequences. If it wasn't fun, nobody would do it. But just like you have to deal with the consequences here and now... There are eternal consequences that are much, much more significant. And so to pray for God's kingdom to come is to pray for Christ's imminent return. We're praying for him to come back. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We look forward to that day. Uh, The Apostle John was giving a a vision at the end of his life about how that's going to happen, what what it's going to look like. And uh, how things will happen. And it's, it's, he recorded it for us in the book of Revelation. A lot of people dig into this book and they try to come up with timelines and things like that. And I really don't think that's the purpose. I think its purpose is to reassure those of us who are followers of Christ that, hey, it's going to happen. Um, we have assurance in the fact that we're on the winning side. There are two kingdoms at play. Um, but ours wins in the end. And... In in Revelation 19, starting in verse 11, he says this, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Well, who is that? That's Jesus. The first time Jesus came, Jesus came in a peaceful way and humbly laid down his life for us. The next time he comes, he's coming back as a ruler, as a king, and he's going to execute justice and judgment on those who are against him. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and his head, on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, are are following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings. And Lord of Lords, he's coming back and he will conquer all. And so the question is, when that happens, which side do you want to be on? Do you want to be on his side? Or do you want to be hanging out in the kingdom of darkness that he comes back and he obliterates? And where do we want our loved ones to be? Where do we want those that we care about to be? We want them to be with us in the kingdom of God, where we can rejoice with him. And thankfully, he is a good and loving and merciful God who is happy to graciously take people into his kingdom. The only question is, will we submit ourselves to that and ask him for that? Will we continue to pray for those we care about? Lord. Your kingdom come in their life too. Lord, I want to see your kingdom alive in their lives. Please, Father, we will be good ambassadors to them, demonstrating to them the glory and the honor of our Father who's in heaven, showing them the truth of who Jesus is by our lives and by what we do and how we act. So, All of that is wrapped up in praying those three simple words Your kingdom come. Not my kingdom, not my will be done, but Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. And so, as we prepare for taking the Lord's Supper in our service, the Lord's Supper is a, an excellent re- reminder to us of that prayer as well. Um, that of what it cost for us to be able to enter God's kingdom. It cost, us, cost, cost Jesus blood. It cost His body. He literally and physically had to come and die for us. And as we take of the bread, as we take of the cup, it's a reminder for us of what he did for us, for our salvation. But then scripture also tells us that as we're reminded of that, it's a good time to check ourselves and how we're doing in that process of sanctification. To say, is there unconfessed sin in my life, Lord, that I need to confess to you? And if there is, you should. Because this is what it costs. It costs his body, his blood. So go to him and asking him for forgiveness for that. To get right with him. Make that relationship good again. And that's part of what the Lord's Supper reminds us of. Also, it reminds us of the fact that we need the church. Because he gave us this to do together. Not just on our own, but to do together, to work together um, and advance in the kingdom together. And so as a church, we together take of the Lord's Supper as his kingdom is coming in this place. But also as he instituted the Lord's Supper, he made a promise with the cup that he was not going to drink of the cup anew until he drank of it with us in the Father's kingdom. And that's the problem. A promise that He made, looking forward to that time when He comes back. And so, as we take of the of the Lord's Supper, we are also reminded and praying for His return that is to come. So, the four aspects that we've looked at today of praying, "Lord, Your kingdom come," are all wrapped up in this very symbolically in this event that we're about to do. And this is a time that's for believers; it's for those who've placed their faith in Christ. And if you're here and you're a follower of Christ, we invite you to join with us in this and be a part of this. If you're here and you're, you're not a believer, or if you're a believer and you, you, just, you know that you have unconfessed sin in your life that you just can't deal with right now, then we ask you just to pass it by. Nobody's going to think less of you for that. We all need that at times in our lives where we just need to, to step back from it. Because what scripture says is that when you take of this wrongly, that actually what you're doing is heaping more judgment on yourself. And that's the last thing that we would want to happen to anyone here. And so feel the freedom to just say, No, I'm okay, and just pass it by. Feel the freedom just to bow your head and just ignore what's going on around you. But ultimately, the best thing would be if you do not yet know Jesus as your Savior. So here and now, I ask him to do so. Ask him to save you. So I'm going to pray for us. The band's going to come. We'll sing a song. That'll be a time for you to prepare your heart for this. And then uh, they, they, myself and the elders will come back up and we'll pass out um, the elements then. So the band can come as I pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you do for us. Um, for all that you do for us in Jesus, uh, the fact that you sent your one and only Son who lived the perfect life and yet paid the punishment for all of our sin. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that we have the opportunity to be reminded of that. And we pray that you will uh, just uh, bless and honor this time, that it will be all about you and our relationships with you. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.